Let me just invite you to turn in your Bibles to Judges chapter 12. Well, I'm trying to get this on. It doesn't want to go. Um, let me say as I, as I preach this text that I, everything in me wanted to skip Judges 12. Because uh, it, it talks about unrighteous anger. And I'm a sinner. And I'm a sinner who struggles with unrighteous anger. And you know, if you talk to my kids, they'll tell you, yes, my dad struggles with unrighteous anger. <laughs> He's the chief of sinners. And that's true. But, and so I feel a hypocrite preaching this text, but, but you know that Jesus came for hypocrites, right? And I want you to know I'm not preaching this text in the sense of, of um, I'm worthy to preach it but I'm preaching it in a sense, I, I want to point you to Jesus, who, one, has grace for those who struggle with unrighteous anger, but two, has the ability to give us victory over unrighteous anger. So if you would, t- turn in your Bibles with me to Judges 12, and I'll just read uh, one, verses 1 through 7. I'm going to try to clip this on one more time. The men of Ephraim were called to arms and they crossed to Zaphon and said to Jephthah, why did you cross over to fight against the Ammonites and did not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over you with fire. And Jephthah said to them, I and my people had a great dispute with the Ammonites. And when I called you, you did not save me from their hand. And when I saw that you would not save me, I took my life in my hand and crossed over against the Ammonites, and the Lord gave them into my hand. Why then have you come up to me this day to fight against me? When Jephthah gathered all the men of Gilead and fought with Ephraim, and the men of Gilead struck Ephraim because they said, You are fugitives of Ephraim, you Gileadites, in the midst of Ephraim and Manasseh. And the Gileadites captured the fords of the Jordan against the Ephraimites. And there's a lot of ites here. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, let me go over, the men of Gilead said to them, are you an Ephraimite? When he said, no, they said to him, then say Shibboleth. And he said, Sibboleth, for he could not pronounce it right. Then they seized him and slaughtered him at the fords of the Jordan. At that time, 42,000 of the Ephraimites fell. Jephthah judged Israel six years. Then Jephthah the Gileadite died and was buried in his city of Gilead. Please pray with me. Father, there is a righteous anger which we see displayed in our Savior 
And there is an unrighteous anger which many of us can attest we see in our own hearts when we don't get our way. And those are things that we see here in Ephraim. Jesus, we want to be a people who, who embrace a righteous anger for things that you hate, we want to hate. Things that you love, we want to love. Lord, let your spirit powerfully work in our hearts and our minds. Show us and display to us the grace of the cross so we might run there and be transformed and hear from our Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. In Genesis, so to understand what's going on, we need to back up the Genesis uh, 48. In Genesis 48, Joseph has been restored to his father, Jacob. And as Jacob is getting older, he wants to bless Joseph's two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. And if you remember, you know the story. Joseph, of course, has been in Egypt, and they've been separated, and now they're restored. So he wants to bless these two boys. Well, Manasseh is the oldest, and the custom would be Manasseh would get the right hand of blessing because he's oldest. And then Ephraim, the youngest, would get the left hand of blessing. And so Jacob takes these two boys, and he takes Manasseh, the oldest, and sits him on his left. He takes Ephraim, the youngest, and sits him on his right. And he proceeds to lay his hands on him. And when he does, Joseph says, Father. He comes over and actually grabs his hands and says, Father, thinking his father's old and maybe confused here, you've got it all wrong. And this is what his father says to his son. I know my son, and he shall be great also, talking about Manasseh. Nevertheless, his younger brother, Ephraim, shall be greater than he. So no great brothers were closer, but none had a more heated rivalry than Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim is always angry, wanting to be the preeminent one wanting to be great, wanting to be greater than Manasseh. This is what we see in Judges 12. Jephthah, the judge that we've been speaking about for several weeks, he lives in the region of Manasseh. Certainly, most of his men would be from the tribe of Manasseh. Now, they've just defeated the Ammonites, their great enemy. Ephraim, on the other side of the Jordan River, they get wind of what's happened, of the victory, and instead of rejoicing in what God has done, they get angry because they want to be preeminent. So they cross over the Jordan looking for a fight, not with the Ammonites, but with their brothers, with Manasseh. Now, here's how that works. If my heart is ruled by certain desires, maybe like Ephraim, to show my greatness, well, there are only two ways I can really respond to you. If you help me first get what I want, I will praise you. I'll be kind to you. I'll be happy with you. I'll give you a high five, a knuckle bump when I see you. But if you're standing in the ways of my desire, I'm going to oppose you. I don't recognize you. I, I, I'll be angry. I'll be reserved when we're together. I'll be silent. 
I'll pull away when I am with you. That's if anger controls your heart. Now, what happens then on the other hand? When you do what I want, well, suddenly you're with me. And when you don't, you're against me. Anger is caused when my desires rule my heart and they are not met. So when my child doesn't get to play second base, and I think he is the world's greatest second baseman, I get angry when they put him in the outfield. Anger shows me that the desire for glory rules my heart and not the love of Christ. In the church, when God is doing great things, just like he was here with Manasseh, it is very hard to get a clean win because of how pride, jealousy, anger often controls the hearts of believers. So here's our main idea this morning. It's very simple. You must not let anger overshadow the wonderful works of God's salvation, which is what's happening here. Okay, there's a couple things we want to see about this. First is angry Ephraim's threats. Look in your Bibles at verse 1. Notice those words. Called to arms. So Ephraim is on the west side of the Jordan. And they hear about the battle. They hear about the glory that Manasseh is getting. Maybe even some booty, some bounty that they've collected. They hear. And so they go around somehow, the text doesn't tell us, and they stir up all the Ephraimites who come to the Jordan ready to cross over and ready to fight. Now the question is, why? <laughs> why are you wanting to come fight your brother? Chapter 8. The tribe of Ephraim there, they did the exact same thing. They all got together and they came to the Jordan. But that time it was because of Gideon. They were opposing Gideon. They said the same things to Gideon. And this time it's because of Jephthah. They get all roused up and they come to the Jordan ready for a fight. Two things that these two judges have in common. Jephthah and Gideon were both from the tribe of Manasseh. Manasseh, right? Ephraim believed it was the privileged firstborn, not Manasseh. We're going to get the glory. We are the preeminent, right? And so they say to Jephthah, why did you not call us to go with you? We will burn your house over you with fire. In other words, we are somebodies and you are nobodies. If there is going to be a fight, we need to know about it. We're the somebodies. And then they have a threat. I'm going to burn your house, which means that if you run off this battlefield here today, you Manassehites, if you run off and think you're going home, we're coming to your home. We're coming for your families. And we're going to burn your house down over your family. That's the threat. That's what they're saying. Now, notice Jephthah's response. Look in your Bibles at verse 3 and 4. He says, when I called you, you didn't come. He says, okay, you, you say that I didn't call you, but I did call you. I, I sent messengers, essentially is what he did, over across the Jordan. I called you, we're brothers, and you didn't come. You didn't come to the battle. So he goes on. 
I took my life in my own hands and the Lord gave them into my hand. So when you didn't take up the call, when you didn't respond to my text, I decided to go at it alone. And the Lord brought us victory. And then he has a question. Why have you come this day to fight against me? You see, the true fault was not of Jephthah and Manasseh taking the battlefield without their brother Ephraim, their brother. But Ephraim's cowardice in not coming to fight. Now my friends, there's a great truth here for the church. When God has brought a great work of the Spirit, a great work of salvation to many, which is what had just happened in Manasseh, mercy drops in worship, transforming families. There will always be those who don't want to participate. And they will seek to hide their hard-heartedness with accusations. That's Ephraim, hiding their sin, their cowardice, by saying, well, why didn't you come? Why didn't you come? Accusations. And so those who have done the greatest work for the gospel of grace, or have experienced the greatest renewals, are never hidden from the insults and the threats of the bitter ones, the jealous ones, the angry believer. And at the heart of that angry is usually Ephraim and Manasseh, a jealousy that says, it should have been me. It should have been my church that experienced such powerful movements of the Spirit. We have better theology. I pray so much. Why was I not the center of that? Rather than a rejoicing that God is working in people's lives. And when that happens to you, from brothers and sisters inside the church, maybe outside the church, maybe the accuser of the brethren, learn from Jephthah, who simply uses truth And then he points people to the author of grace. It was the Lord who did that in our church, in my life, in my family. Let's go to the third thing. How did angry Ephraim respond to this truth and this question? Where are you? Why are you here? Verse 4, insults. Notice what he says. You are fugitives of Ephraim right? (laughs) Why are we here? Why are the Ephraimites coming? Why are we crossing over? Because you, Jephthah, your people, the Gileadites, the people from the city of Gilead, here's why we're here. You're fugitives. You're outlaws. Now remember, Jephthah's mother was a prostitute. So there's something personal here. And, And we're here to purge the land from people like you. And when the men of Gilead, with Jephthah, their leader, those from Manasseh, when they hear that, they struck those from Ephraim. And they captured the ford, the crossing, back into Ephraim on the other side. So the boys of Ephraim couldn't get home. Now verse 5. And when any of the fugitives of Ephraim said, let me go over, the men of Gilead said to him, are you an Ephraimite? When he said no, he said to him, okay, say Shibboleth. 
<laughs> and so in other words, it, it's really interesting. That, that word probably means something like creek or river. So here we are at the river, say river. And if you're from the east side, you say it one way. But if, if you're from the west side of the river, you say it another way. And so they know who the soldiers were that were returning home. And the end was 42,000 soldiers of Ephraim being killed in that great battle. A pointless loss. When Ephraim's accusations prove not to be true, all their anger is left with are insults, personal digs. And the funny thing is, that's how anger still works today. My my brother-in-law is a campus evangelist and he's very well educated and very smart. He's a defender of the faith. And one of his observations is so often when people make arguments, let's say I'm at Berkeley and they make an argument on campus against Christianity and I can debunk that argument or defend Christianity so that they have no grounds of their argument, they immediately turn to insults. That's all they have left in their anger they say things like, you know, you're a homophobe. You're a bigot. You're this and that. And Keith says, <laughs> sometimes I lose it. And he said, I just smile and I say, oh yeah, you're a Christophobe. <laughs> and they lose it. We're no Christophobes. Which I think is pretty, pretty smart. Okay, let's close with these three things. It shouldn't be Ephraim versus Manasseh. Often, in other words, it shouldn't be brother, brother versus brother, sister versus sister. Often it's easier to fight our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ than to battle the sins of the world. Do you see that? It's easy to turn our daggers on other evangelical denominations or other Christians who have different opinions over things than to bite our tongues and guard the unity of the church. Now, when dealing with other believers, we have to ask ourselves, is this a sin issue? And, and do, do I have righteous anger? In other words, is this something that Jesus would get angry about? Or is this just my preference? Second. The righteous will face unbiblical accusations. Please catch this. Notice, Ephraim's anger is because they are convinced that the righteous are wicked, that Manasseh and those people, the believers, are wicked. And therefore, they are prepared to kill families by burning their houses, to kill children, because they didn't receive the glory from this battle. And there was no willingness to listen or to be reconciled. When God is working in tremendous ways in your life, in your family's life, in your church's life, there will be the season that unbiblical personal attacks will come. The righteous will always be accused of wickedness. Always. And the end game of angry Ephraim is always to destroy the work of grace in your life 
in your church, and in your family. And I know for me personally, the end game of insults or accusations is to take me to a place of unrighteous anger. And maybe it is with you as well. Third thing. Okay, Rusty, what is unrighteous anger? Are you angry today? Have you been angry for a while? And I would say, well, what are you angry at? Is it righteous? Is it unrighteous? Is it something that you need to repent of? Or is it something that you need to embrace? You say, well, how do I know? Well, the easy answer is, you should never be angry except at sin. We should only be angry at the things that Jesus would be angry about. Anger that is righteous is called zeal for the things that Jesus is zealous for. Every Christian should have a righteous anger, a zeal against things like injustice, murder, oppression, theft, legalism, lying, abuse. Those were the things our king got so angry at that when he went into the temple, he flipped over the table. Now, those are very different than the anger of Ephraim. Unrighteous anger that gets angry because you don't get your way. Or you're not in control. Or decisions I felt like I needed to be the center of, I wasn't. Righteous anger leads to more grace in your life. Unrighteous anger leads to spiritual pain. It leads to what you see Ephraim doing. Accusations, insults, breaking in relationships. Maybe you've been deeply sinned against. And the only biblical response is a righteous anger. And I want to encourage you, if that's you, Jesus is far more angry about how you have been sinned against than you will ever be. His is a righteous anger towards the sins of this world and particularly how it wounds the church. And there is a coming day when your Savior and King is coming again. And He's coming to judge all things with mercy and a just judgment. And I want you to think that the cross is the first fruits of that judgment. Christ took the full cup of judgment for every believer. He lovingly drank. If you're like me and you struggle with unrighteous anger, I stand before you as the chief of sinners, saved by grace. And if you struggle with that, I want you to know that Christ drank the cup of judgment for your sins. And it's finished. He drank our judgment so we could receive His grace and His power to transform us. But when He comes again, He will come with a righteous anger. And He will bring justice to the world. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, why is it that when Your Spirit is working in great ways, our unrighteous anger 
accusations, insults are at the door. Lord, and sadly, sometimes it's from brother to brother and sister to sister. Lord, we can all struggle with unrighteous anger. Lord, help us to measure those things. Give us the grace to say, is it the anger of Ephraim? Or am I being angry at the things that Jesus is angry at? The things that destroy his people and his creation. Destroy the shalom, the peace, Lord, in his church. Father, we need you in wonderful ways. Thank you for the Holy Spirit, which works love, joy, and peace, and patience, kindness, gentleness, humility in every believer's heart. And those here like me who struggle with unrighteous anger, I repent, we repent, we ask for forgiveness. And we want to be men and women filled with the Holy Spirit. We want to be the aroma of Christ wherever we go. Guard our church from unrighteous anger. And I pray at the same time that our church would have a righteous zeal for the things that you love. In Jesus' name, amen.